Hola and welcome to Catholic View on this Friday evening. I'm Sheila Birch. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up in today's broadcast, we get to chat to the new Vicar General of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg. But before that, here is a quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in the church and Africa. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Friday evening, temptation calls for prayer, not dialogue, says Pope Francis at Daily Mass. Angola's Luanda International Theological Week held as a success. And new general vicar for the Archdiocese of Johannesburg. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with local news. During the general priest meeting at the Chancery of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg on Thursday, Archbishop Buti Tlachali announced Father Paul Bukes as the new Vicar General of the Archdiocese. I spoke to the newly appointed Most Reverend Father Vicar General Paul Bukes. Uh, firstly, that the Vicar General is uh, a priest who is appointed by the diocesan bishop, and in our case, uh, the Archbishop. And the appointment is so that the Vicar General is able to assist the diocesan bishop in the ordinary governance of the diocese, in our case, the archdiocese. So, um, and that sounds like a huge responsibility to me, you know. Uh, but then I'm also grateful that we had uh, people like uh, you know, the present auxiliary bishop, uh, Bishop Duncan, who have done this this task so uh, beautifully, as well as previously by uh, Father Finlayson, who's gone off and gone back to Australia. So I think people like themselves who have hold this office somehow give someone like myself hope, knowing that, yes, I'll be able to uh, to do my best in, in the office here. Yeah. You can listen to the full interview right after our headline news. In his homily at today's Mass at Casa Santa Marta, Pope Francis reflected on the devil's temptation, both of Adam and Eve, in the first reading and of Jesus in the Gospel. Pope Francis said in the weakness of temptation which we all experience, the grace of Jesus helps us not to hide ourselves from the Lord, but to seek forgiveness in order to get up and go forward. With Satan, the Pope said, there is no dialogue because dialogue with the devil ends in sin and corruption. The devil uses dialogue to deceive, said Pope Francis, and temptation leads us to hide ourselves from the Lord so that we remain with our fault, our sin, our corruption. It takes the grace of Jesus in order to turn and seek forgiveness, concluded Pope Francis. 
The just-ended First Luanda International Theological Week in Angola has been described as a success. During discussions and presentations, theologians sought to reflect on what theology has to say about some challenges facing the continent of Africa today, such as wars, hunger, disease, and youth unemployment. The event, which brought together theologians from around the world, was in particular attended by rectors of theological seminaries in Angola, professors of the Faculty of Theology at the University Catolica de Angola, as well as priests and pastors of Christian churches in that country. A 56-year-old Colombian nun of the Congregation of the Franciscan Sisters of Mary Immaculate was kidnapped on Tuesday in Coatiala, south of Mali. According to Fidesz News, Father Edmond Dembele, the Secretary General of the Episcopal Conference of Mali, said both the bishops and the police are investigating the kidnapping. The area where the religious woman was kidnapped is a quiet area, and that is what is surprising. That area of the country has not yet been touched by the insecurity that affects other areas of Mali, said Father Edmond Dembele. Meanwhile, Mali's security forces have arrested two suspects who they believe were involved in the kidnapping of the Colombian nun. A Nigerian bishop has decried widespread corruption and violence in Africa's largest nation, and that's according to the Lagos-based Guardian. Archbishop Augustine Akubeze of Benin City, Nigeria, has urged Catholics to call on the Blessed Virgin Mary to help them overcome the endless and senseless killings of people in Africa's largest nation. The nation of 186.1 million is 50% Muslim and 40% Christian, with 10% retaining indigenous beliefs. In more African news, Somalia's new president faces a formidable set of challenges in meeting the expectations of the Somali people, the country's international partners have said. Jocelyn Sambira reports from UN Radio. The United Nations, African Union, European Union or EU, the African Regional Trade Bloc, EGAD, Ethiopia, Italy, Sweden, the United Kingdom and the U.S. issued the statement on Thursday. Mohamed Abdullahi, known by the nickname Farmajo, was declared the winner after two rounds of voting by the Somali parliament in the capital Mogadishu. The new federal government will be expected to respond to the country's worsening drought crisis and avert another famine. The partners explained improving security is another top priority President Farmajo identified. However, this will require continued partnership with the African Union and international donors. A 22,000 strong African Union force funded by the EU is currently in the country to combat an insurgency led by Al-Shabaab. Other challenges include reconciliation and a peaceful resolution of a number of local conflicts together with resuming the constitutional review process. The UN Special Envoy for Somalia, Michael Keating, welcomed the orderly and peaceful transfer of power as a major achievement for Somalia. He said the international community was eager to partner with the new president and the country's federal member states and the people of Somalia to respond to these challenges. 
The forceful entry into a health facility by armed elements has been strongly condemned by the acting humanitarian coordinator in the Central African Republic, CAR. Jocelyn Sambira from UN Radio has more. Michael Yao, who is also the World Health Organization representative, warned it was a violation of international humanitarian law. The intention of the militia members was to kill some of the injured. The incident followed clashes in Bangui's PK-5 neighborhood between Muslim and Christian fighters on Thursday. A military operation ensued, resulting in 26 people injured and another three dead. These figures include civilians and combatants. This is the second incident in the same health facility within four days. Dr. Yao urged all stakeholders to respect health facilities. Dr. Yao urged all stakeholders to respect health facilities and ensure the civilian character of these health installations to enable free and unhindered access to patients and medical staff. And finally, February 11 is the 25th World Day of the Sick, a commemoration instituted by St. John Paul II that takes place each year on the memorial of Our Lady of Lourdes. The title of Pope Francis' message for the day is taken from the Magnificat, The Almighty Has Done Great Things for Me. In his letter instituting the commemoration, St. John Paul II wrote that the day should be a special time of prayer and sharing, of offering one's suffering for the good of the Church, and of reminding everyone to see in his sick brother or sister the face of Christ, who by suffering, dying, and rising achieved the salvation of mankind. Pope Francis on Friday spoke about the situations of light and shadow in the healthcare sector, thanking God for the many healthcare professionals who live their work like a mission with knowledge and conscience. The Holy Father's words came in an address to the participants in a meeting promoted by the Charity and Health Commission of the Italian Bishops' Conference, the CEI, organized for the occasion of the 25th World Day for the Sick, set to take place on February 11th. Pope Francis told the group of Italian healthcare professionals that there have been many social and cultural changes in the years since Pope St. John Paul II instituted the World Day of the Sick in 1992. He said that today we see a situation with lights and shadows. Regarding the lights in the field of healthcare, the Holy Father said scientific research has certainly advanced and we are grateful for the precious results obtained for curing, if not defeating, some pathologies. He praised God for the missionary zeal of healthcare professionals who are participants in the effusive love of the Creator God. With their hands, they daily touch the suffering flesh of Christ. He also expressed his joy for the numerous volunteers who seek to relieve and humanize the long and difficult days of many sick and elderly people. Pope Francis went on to speak about the shadows in health care which risk endangering the experience of our sick brothers and sisters. If there is a sector in which the throwaway culture makes most visible its painful consequences, he said, it is exactly that of health care. When a sick person is not placed at the center and considered in their dignity, attitudes arise which can even lead to profiteering on other people's misfortunes. The Pope made reference to his message for the 25th World Day for the Sick, saying, In the first place is the inalienable dignity of every human person from the moment of conception until their last breath. 
They said monetary concerns should neither dictate political and administrative decisions nor the selection of those who manage sanitary structures. Pope Francis exhorted healthcare workers to never hesitate, even to rethink their works of charity, in order to offer a sign of the mercy of God to the poorest who, in trust and hope, knock on the doors of your institutions. Finally, the Pope said, "Sick people are precious members of the Church. May they receive the grace to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of His body, which is the Church." Those sufferings, he said, are forever transfigured by love. Meanwhile, back home to mark the 25th World Day of the Sick, Kafka will be hosting a mass for the sick on Saturday, February 11th, at Our Lady of Lourdes Parish in Rivonia. Elvira Robek is the liaison officer for Kafka. So it's the 25th uh, World Day of the Sick, um, so it's quite a sort of a, a milestone year. And Kafka will be hosting a mass for the sick. Ravonia Catholic Church, which is also called Our Lady of Lourdes, which is in North Road in Ravonia, and will be held at 7.30 in the morning. Um, so there will be a Mass, and then there will be a blessing for all the sick afterwards, um, you know, during the, or just before the service finishes, by Father Peter Doherty, who is the parish priest. Um, and this Mass is, if you do already have an illness that you know about, or you know someone that's got an illness that you want to bring them, it's for all, anybody that's in healthcare, um, so any nurses, doctors, um, field workers, um, home-based carers, so also all of those um, petitioners to come in and get, receive a special blessing. And those were your headlines this Friday evening. You're listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas, and I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up next, we get to talk to the newly appointed Vicar General of Johannesburg Archdiocese. <laughs> Archdiocese of Johannesburg has a new vicar general and he goes by the name of Father Paul Bukes. The announcement was made on Thursday, the 9th of February at the Chancery during the priest general meeting with Archbishop Butitlahali. Here is the newly appointed Most Reverend Father Vicar General Paul Bukes. Congratulations, Most Reverend Father Vicar General. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you very much. You sound so formal. You make the whole thing sound so formal. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole idea. That's the whole mm-hmm. idea. We need to have mm-hmm. more respect now, hey? <laughs> oh, thank you. No, but I think you've always, all of you has always given us more respect as your priest. So, um, yeah, I think there's always been the beautiful respect coming from the people of God, yeah. Amen to that. So tell me, Father, how does it feel? Did you ever think you'd be one day a vicar general? No, it wasn't something that I thought about. And especially at this point in time, because I think when you run a parish um, like Eldorado Park, that's so busy and so huge, 
uh, you don't think about things like that. You think about how do I go about in being a more uh, a priest that's more there for the people and doing more what God requires. So I haven't thought about that yet. So, um, but I think I feel okay this morning. <laughs> I just had mass with the sisters uh, in the convent, and so they were going on about it. So I think the way the sisters uh, reacted this morning uh, made me more aware of the reality of the matter. Yeah. And now so talk I think to I'm, us. I'm a bit anxious. Yes. <laughs> I can imagine. I was just about to ask you. Talk to us about the reality of your new title. What does it mean? What does it mean? Um, well, I, it means that, you know, the Vicar General, I suppose you know this, that uh, firstly that the Vicar General is uh, a priest who's appointed by the Diocesan Bishop, and in our case, uh, the Archbishop. And the appointment is so that the Vicar General is able to assist the Diocesan Bishop in the ordinary governance of the diocese, in our case, the archdiocese. So, um, and that sounds like a huge responsibility to me, you know. Uh, but then I'm also grateful that we had uh, people like uh, the, the present auxiliary bishop, uh, Bishop Duncan, who have done this, uh, this task so uh, beautifully, as well as previously by uh, Father Finlayson, who's gone off and gone back to Australia. So I think... People like themselves who have hold this office somehow give someone like myself hope, knowing that, yes, I'll be able to, uh, to do my best in, in the office here. And tell me, Father, does it make your job easier knowing that you have an archbishop and an auxiliary bishop? Well, I think uh, it, will be, it, it will be a good thing to work together. I think uh, since the archbishop is our boss, we'll all have to sit down and sit and talk and look at um, where the, in which direction the archdiocese needs to go, what's the need, the pastoral need of the archdiocese. But I'm sure that uh, the Archbishop, the Auxiliary Bishop, and it, myself would be the Vicar General, would be able to sit down together and, and sit and discuss and, and also pray uh, about the needs of the archdiocese. In that way, I suppose, we will be able to make sure that things uh, go smoothly, as things have been going smoothly, yeah. And then what sort of works are you looking forward to do? Like, what is your favorite in it? What is my favorite? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Look, I suppose the challenge would be, uh, it would be office work, meaning I would be based, I would sit in an office. And as a parish priest, and looking at myself, I've been, yes, I've got an office in a parish, and I had the liturgy office, but I was more, you know, among the people and doing things and all of that. So it will be a challenge because it will be different because now I have to sit and, 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 and be in the office. It's like, uh, what do you call a nine-to-five job? But to help <laughs> us God, this is only a nine-to-five job. Uh, <laughs> welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. Oh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. But now tell us, Father, what happens to the liturgy department? Are you still going to be working with them? What's happening there? Uh, no. Normally... Uh, as in my case, where I've been appointed Vicar General, it means uh, my role as Vicar for Liturgy comes to an end. So, His Grace Archbishop Budit Lachale needs to appoint another priest uh, to head the Liturgy Department. Yeah. 
Wow, we're surely going to miss all those beautiful um, liturgy, you know, the way you used to organize all the beautiful masses that would have in the church, oh, thank especially you. Thank the Chrism Mass. Uh, you know, we always look forward to find out. I wonder uh, what Father Paul Bukers will do this time around. But I'm sure, I'm sure the next priest that will uh, head the liturgy office will take it to greater heights. I'm sure that the next priest will do much greater work and, and, and through the liturgy, the celebration of our Eucharist, will be able to um, touch hearts of the lives, uh, the, touch the hearts of the lives, of the, touch the heart and the lives of the people. So I think yeah, the next person will do a greater job, I, I believe, yeah. And Anastasia is still in the office. She's always been very faithful. She's been uh, my pillar of strength in the office. So uh, I'm sure whoever comes, the two of them will work well together, yeah. I don't think we should stress and worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, Father, you did mention that you are also a parish priest of Eldorado Park. Eldorado Park. Of Eldorado of Siena yeah. and St. Eugene de Mazenon. Imagine that. Imagine that. Now, how are you going to cope with this? Because, like you said, now you're going to have more like a 9-to-5 job, and you still yes. have the parishes to look after. How are you yes. going to cope with all of this? Yes, very true. Um... I've got a saying, um, and I use it in a parish here with the parishioners. Uh, and it goes like this, that I believe that God will not put you in a place where His grace cannot sustain you. I strongly believe that, that God will never put you in a situation where His grace and His mercy cannot sustain you. So I trust and I believe that God will give me the strength to be able to carry out this responsibility. I'm also aware that I need to take care of myself. So I need to look after myself in terms of my health, and I need to make sure that I uh, find a balance in living out my uh, priestly life, but also ministering, ministering to people, and at the same time to be the Vicar General. So I need to find a balance. I'm quite aware of all of that. So I think that would be important. Well, most reverend uh, vicar general, Father Tom. <laughs> oh my word, this yes, sounds totally see, different. You want to be formal, so you're going to have all these tongue-tied tongue and all of that. Okay, so, let's yeah. do that again. Well, most reverend Father Vicar General Paul Bukas, is, is that correct? I don't know. It's just the title, that's how it goes. I really don't know. Oh, well, in that note, thank you so much for talking Sheila, to us. Thank you so much. And Appreciate once again, you. congratulations. Very happy to hear this good news. I say thank you to you, and thank you for the good news that Radio Veritas is busy with at the moment. Uh, We really appreciate your ministry, and may God bless you, and I hope that we'll work well together in the future. Thank you so much. And that was the newly elected Most Reverend Father Vicar General Paul Bukers of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg. Afro House artist Holly, at the age of 21, has recorded numerous tracks, performed on multiple platforms, and appeared on many radio as well as TV shows. She has collaborated on several tracks across many genres and has succeeded in pacing her career while crafting her sound and developing her brand. 
Over the years and since the age of 13, she has worked with musicians and recorded with artists from Mozambique, Senegal, Congo and Nigeria. So when I mean, when I originally started music, I was really just doing it for fun, just as a hobby, just as a passion, you know. Um, and I was just really lucky to meet some amazing musicians that I'm still working with today that have really guided my journey and um, really formed the musician that I've become. Um, and I, when I originally started, I was doing pop music, Afro pop, um, and I loved it, but it wasn't like really where my heart was. Um, and then at about 16, I was introduced to Afro house music through a tour with Okosia Den. And um, I sort of just fell in love with house. And I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I've been really, really fortunate to work with some amazing artists. I've worked with Chris Peta, I've worked with Ice Prince, um, I've worked with Shorta, Jason and Trini, and just awesome artists that have been able to teach me so much about the, the, the industry and um, about the music industry in particular. Interesting you said that when you started, it was just for fun, you know, just for, yeah. as a hobby, something that you like, well, let me do it on the side. And now today, you have actually perfectionated this. You have been working with so many artists, like you've mentioned, artists from Mozambique, Senegal, Congo, as well as Nigeria. Now, yeah. you have chosen a genre that is very well known in, in South Africa and Africa, Afro House. Talk to us about this type of genre, especially for a young lady such as yourself, 21 years of age, with so much variety to go into, you chose Afro House. I think the thing that made me fall in love with Afro House was the culture of house music in, in Africa and South Africa in particular. You know, house is not just a genre um, in this country, it's the whole culture. There's, um, there's a whole dance culture that goes with it. The dance news, there's the shooting am on Sunday, there's the people, there's obviously the music. And that, I think that's what I fell in love with, is the culture of house music and not just the actual music or the genre. Mm. Um, and I think that, that's what's beautiful about it. Is it's, very, it's a very African genre, Afro house music, when it's called Afro house. Um, but I think that that's what's special. It's, it's uniquely African and it's full of Afro sounds that are really easy for people to connect with, you know? Now talk to us about, you know, um, transforming yourself from that kid or that teenager, that 13-year-old that saw music as just a hobby to the 21-year-old who sees music as passion, as what she really wants to do in life. Talk to us about that whole process. How was it for you, especially in, in terms of academics? Um, well, I mean, I'm really lucky that I've always done well at school, but, you know, when I was in school, I was, I was dying as a garden kid at a young age. I couldn't really play another sport, so music was what I turned to, and that's how I got into music originally, and it was, like I said, it was just a hobby or something I did to take my mind off things, to just enjoy myself, to express myself, and then when I first started recording music when I first went to studio, I loved it so much that I just couldn't get enough of it. And then someone said, I want you to record a studio album. So I recorded my first studio album. Sort of not sure if it was what I wanted to do as a career. But once I started performing the music and the album was selling, people were loving it. I was like, oh my word, I really do love this. I don't think I could do anything else. I don't think I could go sit behind a desk every day and do that sort of stuff. Um, and I always just done really well at school. I got eight distinctions in my trick. Um, and top of my class at varsity, on the dean's list at varsity. So 
I do still do really, really well academically, and like my family's convinced was that I could do music, and they would support me 100 as long as I studied as well and try to do my best academically. Um, so I'm really lucky that I did, I did do well at academics in school and now in university. Um, and I think that was really important for people to remember that as musicians, people think that we don't need to have an education. But an educated musician is a successful musician, you know. Um, and I think that that's what's really important for people to remember. Well spoken, well spoken. But now, Holly, at the age of 21 and uh, being an Afro House artist, how do you see um, the women in this industry? How are you treated as a lady? It's definitely still extremely tough as, as a female artist, but I think that's given internationally. I know this year is like the first Beyonce's headlining Coachella in America, and it's the first time the female artist is headlining Coachella, which is one of the biggest festivals in the world. And you would think that the 21st century, that wouldn't be such a novelty, you know. Um, and the thing is, in South Africa, it's particularly bad. Um, there is a culture of you know male dominance in the industry, and there is a tendency to always refer to female artists as vocalists. You know, we just sing. You know, but actually, you know, for me, example, I'm involved in every single step of the, the music making process, from production to um, performances to setting up the live set, everything. And I think the first step is to start seeing female artists as real artists who hold their own and not just vocalists who are singing over beats, and that's all we can do. Um, and I think it's going to take us a while to overcome that, um, but I think that we will overcome it eventually. And I think the biggest thing is female artists need to start taking themselves seriously as well, you know, as well as male artists taking female artists seriously. Um, we can't expect to be taken seriously if we don't take ourselves seriously. Um, but it is a very big challenge in the music industry, but it's something that we're not just facing in South Africa. It is an international problem. All right. Now, of course, Sunday, the 12th of February, sees you performing yes. at Newtown Junction. How excited is this? I'm so excited. It's, it's, I mean, obviously, I perform in Joburg quite a bit, but I feel like this is a really exciting performance to, to do because Newtown is sort of like a new thing. It's a new hub of Joburg. It's really fun. And, you know, Joburg CBD has so much history with regards to music and, and, and in the market area. So just to be able to perform in that area and around you know, that sort of vibe is really exciting for me. And then lastly, Holly, what's your advice for upcoming artists, for teenagers who dream one day of being uh, musicians like yourself? The first thing I always say is to get educated. Like I said earlier, educated musician is a successful musician. You know, people think, oh, I'm going to be a musician, I'm just going to sit in the studio and make music every day. That's not the case. You're sitting in business meetings, you are like planning your future, the music industry is 20% talent, 80% business, and that's the truth at the end of the day. You know, so you need to educate yourself. You need to get ahead, like, academically so that you can be ahead in your career. Um, so definitely educate yourself because an educated musician is a successful musician. Beautiful stuff. And now, what are you busy working on at the moment? So my focus this year is singles and collaborations. I'm doing a few collaborations with some African artists, so from uh, Zimbabwe and Zambia. Um, and then also just focusing on collaborations with South African artists. I'm doing one with DJ Sianda, who's quite a big name in the South African music industry. Um, but if people want to catch what I'm up to, where I'm going to be, where you can download my music, they can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's at Holly Music SA on all platforms, at Holly Music SA. Hey,
Well, that brings me up to time. You've been listening to Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pierce for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that I'll be back again on Tuesday evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pierce.